Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz getting ready to play the Denver Nuggets tonight. And I think we hope that game goes off. The Jazz were the last team in the NBA that hadn't had a positive test from COVID. Some teams have had games canceled. Some teams have multiple games canceled. Uh, some teams have lost players and gone on. Some players have lost so many. Some teams have lost so many players that they've had to bring in basically just bring in G League guys to fill out the roster. So around the league, it's been all over the map. But the Jazz had skated. They had not had an issue until yesterday. Joe Ingles, health and safety protocols. He is out for the Denver game tonight. And on top of that, Rudy Gobert, questionable left shoulder inflammation. I'm reading from the official report. Bojan Bogdanovich, questionable left finger sprain. Royce O'Neal, right patellar tendonitis, questionable. Hassan Whiteside, concussion protocol, questionable. Donovan Mitchell, left low back strain, probable. Jordan Clarkson, low back tightness, probable. Now, a lot of these guys had not been on the injury report. Some had. Hassan Whiteside obviously has been. He's missed several games. We saw in a game him catch a hand across the bridge of the nose and leave the game immediately. We haven't seen him since. I think that's concussion protocol. But Bogey with a left finger sprain, Gobert with a left shoulder inflammation, Royce O'Neal, right patellar tendonitis. I think these are the kind of things these guys have been playing through. I'm not the only one in the media who's looked at these and thought, I wonder if they're waiting for a second test to see if COVID's being confirmed. Is what Joe got spreading throughout the team? Is this game going to be canceled? I can't give you any definitive answers to any of that. Do I wonder? Do I wait and wonder what we're going to hear later today? Absolutely. And maybe it'll come to nothing. Maybe most or all of these guys will play. Maybe the game will be off. Stay tuned to 1280 The Zone today. Whatever gets announced, we'll pass it on to you, and we will see how this plays out. We know for sure Joe is out. And Hassan Whiteside list is questionable. He's been out for a lot of games. Beyond that, I think a lot of these could go either way. And, you know, there's always a concern about false positive tests. Those are out there. They've happened. They've happened to NBA players. They've happened to the general population. Uh, So probably if you're the Jazz or any NBA team, anybody who has to go public, really, um, you probably don't want to announce anything until you're 100% sure. NBA players are tested twice a day, and they're tested with a couple of different tests. Um, so I think we'll find out later today for sure what's going to happen and see if, if this game is happening. And, you know, it's possible that, you know, who knows where Joe picked this up. I don't, I don't think contact tracing is all that great these days. He does have young kids, and, you know, they could have picked that up at a preschool, and then he could have gotten it. So maybe it won't show up on other guys for another day or two. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that could happen here. I think we'll have to sit back and wait and see, see how this plays out. Right now, the Jazz are scheduled to play the Nuggets at 8 o'clock tonight. If that changes, we'll let you know, and we'll see how that goes. And it's possible that the Jazz will play and that they will play with a team that you barely recognize and with many guys that you don't know. That is also another possibility. So we'll see how that shakes out. But Joe is out. He's in health and safety protocols. And I know many of you are saying, well, what does that mean for the radio show tomorrow? I don't know. Thursday's the off day. Thursday's when we normally hear from Joe. Joe likes to do off days. He doesn't like to talk on game days. He probably has, but not very often. So if he's going to come on this week, I think it'd be Thursday. Does he want to come on? How is he feeling? I can't answer those questions right now. We'll have to see how that plays out, too. Let's let that ride. Joe's got an awesome uh, 
uh, win percentage when it comes to showing up for radio interviews. So I think if he can, he will. But, you know, he may not feel up to it. I don't know. I don't, you know, sometimes the symptoms aren't much and sometimes they're really bad. And I, and I don't know where it sits for Joe right now. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, and it's not just the Jazz that are being impacted here. Uh, BYU is home for a couple games this week. They've got Pacific coming in uh, tomorrow night. And they got St. Mary's scheduled for Saturday night. However... We know there have been multiple teams with outbreaks in the West Coast Conference. We know the entire conference had the five-game slate wiped out last weekend. And St. Mary's is supposed to play Santa Clara tomorrow night. That game is off because of a COVID outbreak within the St. Mary's team. Will they have enough guys to play on Saturday? I'm giving you a lot of definite maybes here, aren't I? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. If you're a BYU fan and you're a little worried about that, I wouldn't be surprised. Coach Mark Pope might know a little more, might not know a lot more, might not want to share everything he knows, but he did share some things he knows about the games this week. Mark Pope, BYU basketball coach, meeting with the media. Here he is on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. You know, I talked to I talked to Randy this morning. I talked to Randy yesterday. I, we sent messages over the weekend. Uh, we've uh, talked to Pacific every single day. Um, and then you always had all the background noise about, like, you're always trying to project what if. You know, my what I'm hoping we can avoid is I'm hoping we can avoid as many full installs where we lose a game, right? So that's why I've been driving my staff crazy about like, hey, I need hourly updates because in fact I had um, Rob Ramos reach out to the respective trainers today because I didn't want to start an install or, or yesterday I didn't want to start an install yesterday in practice. Uh, if, if there was any news that we were going to lose a game, I just think that's emotionally draining on the guys. We went through that at least four times last year, right? Where we did a full install and then lost the game. And um, so, um, so I actually told Rob, I'm like, okay, it, we practiced it too. I need a report back from the other two trainers at one, just the best, most current recent information they have. And um, so it's, it just turns into daily conversations uh, with the guys that you're on your schedule and the guys that prospectively could jump onto the schedule. And we're looking for some clarification from the league. Uh, you know, we don't have any extra games in our pocket. I'd like to have one or two. So um, meaning we don't have any games available to us out of conference. We've already maxed out at 15. And so hopefully they'll give us that flexibility. Um, but right now, with the games we have scheduled, we're talking every day. What's the, um, uh, you know, I've talked to, I've talked to Fuey, uh, I've talked to Todd Golden multiple times. I mean, it, that's just what's happening in the conference right now. We're just talking to everybody. What's kind of maybe the theme that's causing some of the pauses in the league that you've heard is that maybe lack of boosters? I mean, what what's kind of the consensus of what's happening in, in the conference? Well, I think in college basketball, I think a lot of guys came back to campus and there was probably some testing protocol for when game, guys came back to campus, is my guess. Um, and so... Um, I'm hoping that it's going to just be this kind of one really heavy hit and then things will, you know, I'm hoping that all the games from here on out will go off without a hitch. So. Are you kind of keeping an eye on that, that USF Loyola game? Is it a good time? It's a great game, obviously. Yeah. Also, it's maybe kind of a model of like, hey, this is really cool what, what they're doing. Yeah. Like maybe kind of see what they did here? Yeah, it's really, it's really good. Obviously, you know, they had, San Francisco had one game left. They were one game under, right? So they had scheduled one game less or for whatever reason had one game left to give to 15. And, um, you know, credit Todd and, uh, to, for getting that done because it's the game that we're all chasing, right? Those are the games that we all want, so. From your time when you're an assistant here and now you're entering your third year, um, what differences have you seen in the league in that time? 
well, this is the best the league's ever been. It's not even close. I mean, we have four teams in the top 40 right now, give or take a spot, right? And um, I think it's probably six in the top 100. And, um, you know, that's in rarefied air. I don't think all the power fives have four in, in the top 40. Maybe it's close, right? So um, the league is really, really good. Um, uh, and, and, um, it's, uh, you know, the venues are getting better and, uh, you think about the upgrades that, that schools have made and, and, uh, the coaching is really, really good. and The talent is good. And one of the things that's doing this year is, um, you have so many teams in the league that kept their super seniors. So the league is super veteran this year, right? It's, um, and so all those things have kind of combined, uh, to make this league really good. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, you think about it, you know, I've said this a couple of times, give or take, I mean, give or take a few spots. You know, if you just take St. Mary's and San Francisco and Gonzaga, at the end of the season, that could work out to be, of those six games, that could work out to be four or five quad one games. Quad one games at home against uh, – against league opponents. And, and so just that sample size, what is that, 70, 70 or 80 or 60% quad one games out of those six games, is, you know, that's never been here before. And so you think about if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you're out of those four, that's a possibility of eight or seven or six quad one games in league, right? Where traditionally we've been like, we've been super happy we get three quad one games in league. And so um, it just gives you a, a, a little bit of idea. I don't, I don't know if we've ever at this point, and I, I think it's probably true that the WC has never had four teams projected to be in an SLA tournament in January, right? Um, and so that doesn't mean it's going to hold, but it just gives you a sense of how, how competitive this league is right now. It's super cool. What's changed from um, David Stoudemire to now Leonard Perry's uh, Pacific program? What's yeah, that look different? I don't know if a lot's changed. I mean, they're still super physical and they play really, really hard. And I think they're shooting it better. Uh, they're shooting it better than they have in the past from beyond the three-point line, which is a, a, a big challenge. You know, the three and the four and the five, they're shooting it really, really well from beyond the three. And, um but they're still long and athletic in the middle. You know, they can put a team on the floor that's 6'3", 6'6", 6'7", 6'7", you know, 6'10". And really long and athletic, and they play hard. So uh, it, the DNA of the team is still there. And, um, you know, uh, coaches um, so far on film, it seems like he's been a little bit more locked into um, – you know, he's, it doesn't look like he's switching as much um, defensively right now. It looks like they're running a similar offensive options, a lot of horns, a lot of uh, some weak and, and uh, some floppy, you know, kind of thrown in the beginning end of plays. They still space the floor with their big, so there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, maybe what changes, too, from non-conference games to league where you just kind of know the personnel, the tendency, what, what maybe changes on the, on the court stylistically? Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's funny. We, uh, we've been watching our games from Pacific and St. Mary's course the last three or four days. And it just is like, as a staff, there's times we just all burst out in laughter because it just is a, it's a freaking slugfest. It's just a wrestling match. I mean, it's just, it's nasty and gross and ugly. And that's what league is, right? Um, and, and because guys do know each other and, and it's, um, and it gets so physical and it makes it fun. There's one zoom question. Fire away. Zoom question. 
I think that's me. Hey, Coach, it's Julie Jag from the Salt Lake Tribune. Julie, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? How's 2022 going for you? It's good. Thank you. Hey, good. Hey, um, so I just want to take you back to a little bit what you were asked, or what you were asked at the beginning. Um, but, you know, USF and um, Loyola Chicago are going to come and play at Salt Lake Community College. Kind of when do you, I mean, at what point would BYU start pursuing like a game like that, kind of a non-conference game. And and when do you start putting those machinations in place to find a place and an opponent and whatnot? Well, what we're hoping, so right now we don't have any spare games. So what that means is we're, you know, our league schedule is 16 games and we're allowed to play 31 total if you play a, to- a full MTE. And so we played 15 non-conference. We have 16 uh, conference games. So we don't have any flexibility. What we're hoping is that the league, because there's no way we're going to be able to play a full schedule. Um, like I said, there's, there's teams that are already going to be four games behind, right? And so um, what I'm hoping is the league will give us flexibility where if you lose a game, like uh, we lost the Portland game, where they'll give us the flexibility to either try and reschedule that or, or keep that game in the hopper and maybe get something out of conference. So we'll see. Um you know, we'll, we'll see what the league decides, but that would be our only avenue towards getting creative with our, with our schedule. Um, I think it could be really good for our league uh, if there was some flexibility. Um, I, I think that uh, if it was something that we did where, you know, um, you know, the team that was canceled on, for example, we were canceled on. Uh, if we give those teams the flexibility, I think it could be really positive. But we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider um, as that goes forward. But until that happens, we're stuck. All right. There is Mark Pope, and we will have more in a moment. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, he was a high school football coach for Bryson Barnes, who went into the Rose Bowl, having never thrown a college pass, I drove the youth down the field and threw a touchdown pass to tie the game. His coach has some remarkable stories. A great story from elementary school. A great story from junior high school, an eighth grade story. <laughs> and he will share them next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Thane Marshall, Milford High School football coach, Bryson Barnes High School coach. Coach, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. We wanted to have you on because it, there were a lot of great stories of the Rose Bowl, but one of them was the walk-on coming on and throwing the game-tying touchdown pass and blowing everybody's mind. I think expectations were pretty low. And I'm curious, where were you? What were you thinking as all of this played out? Did you go to the game? You're sitting home watching on TV? Set it up for us. Well, uh, my son, who's my offensive coordinator, and I were both sitting in my living room. And... Uh, we were we were pretty pretty excited when he got to go in and and you know everybody else's expectations might have been pretty low but when he went in the first series we're like let him throw the ball he can do it he can do it we we knew once you know once he got in there you could see it in his face on TV that there was no pressure at all on the kid he's he he has worked his whole life for this. We were surprised that he went in because he was not listed as the backup and we don't get to see practice anymore. Were you surprised? No, because we stay in pretty well in, in, in contact with him and and we kinda knew that he was taking kind of the he he was right with Cam all the time and, and him and Cam I guess are pretty good buddies. And uh Cam's tutored him pretty well 
And I'll tell you one thing about Bryson that a lot of people doesn't don't know about the kid is I would bet my ranch that he probably put him in more uh, study than, than anybody on the team. That, that's just the way the kid is. He, he was probably more prepared than, than any, any, any player on that football team that stepped out on that, that field. So I was just reading. I was just reading a story about how expensive it is to raise an elite quarterback, and they went into all the people in Southern California who are, and and there's more than a half dozen uh, the people down there who are providing tutoring, and they're all working with lots of kids. And it went into how uh, how expensive it was, how that priced a lot of people out, and. And it went into families that didn't live in the area and had a problem. There was a there was a family in Vegas, and how did they? How are they going to get elite coaching and all that? How does an elite quarterback grow up in a in a community that's got one A high school football? What what makes him this good? Where does he where does he get all this? He he went to a lot of the quarterback elite camps, but. But my son was the quarterback at SUU, and he played for Coach Aaron Roderick, uh, was his coordinator. And I think it, and I might I might be wrong, but I think Coach Sataki was there. They, he was there during the, the Coach Gary Anderson uh, time. And and my the, my offense coordinator Wes Marshall is is also a study you know of the game, a student of the game, and and they worked hand in hand with each other uh my son worked at the jail here in beaver and at the time he's now a school teacher in milford but but he he would be working the graveyard shift and him and him and bryson would be on the phone and 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 they talked football continually and they they had watched film that 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 both be on their computers side by side and you know they're not (laughs) hardly any one a schools run the air raid system but but we do and Bryson stepped in uh, the second game of his freshman year, and he went forty-three and five as a starter at Milford High School, and, and so I mean that's that's pretty phenomenal for the smallest school in the state of Utah that plays football. What's his story as to how he ended up at Utah? Do you know? Well, he, you know, <laughs> the problem was is we couldn't get him recruited because we were one A football. That's what everybody kept saying. So his senior year, I went out and beefed up the schedule. He, he, we went out and beat Ogden. Come to our place, we beat them. They were a 4A school. We're a 1A school. And uh, we beat South Summit, which was the two-time defending state champion that year. And Bryson just – him and uh, Coach Scally, I believe, was the one that recruited him. And, and he'd go uh, – he went on visits up there. And and uh, he really fell in love with the school. And, and they they – Offered him a preferred walk-on, and he turned down a couple of scholarships to, to live out his dream to play at University of Utah. Where were the scholarship offers? Uh, SU come in late, you know, and uh, that they we we'd been toting them since because we're all alumnus of of SU, SUU, and and he, uh, you know, and we started toting him as an eighth grader to them, and they come in like December of after his senior year to offer him a scholarship and we're like you know sorry 
and and they kind of got mad that he went to university on a walk-on and turned down their scholarship. But look who threw a touchdown pass in Rose Bowl. That'd be Bryson Barnes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the story has like become legendary. Uh, raising twelve thousand pigs. Now I'm a city guy. What does that mean when you're raising twelve thousand pigs? What's that about? Well, we're, we're the largest. I, I believe we're the largest hog. We got the largest hog farm. I know we do in the United States, and it might be in the world. Right here in our backyard, and that's. That's actually helped my program because it's been able to, the young kids have been able to stay home and, and get a job here and raise their kids. So, so it's actually put a few more kids in our program. And uh, but yeah, Bryson and his little brothers and they, they get up and and if they don't have school, they're they're at the pig barn with their mom and their dad's a railroader and he helps out at the farm. But but basically, it's their mom running the pig barn and, and it's a nursery, so they have little baby pigs in there. They get to a certain certain uh, age, and then they put them into a finisher barn. But uh, yeah, it's a great big barn, and they walk along. And I've I've never been in one myself, but but uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal of what they do, and it, they they work hard. So I was in uh, I was in 4-H in San Diego. <laughs> And uh, I don't, I don't have any experience raising pigs, uh, sheep, and a little bit with dairy cattle. But that's a long story. This has gotten so corporate. I wasn't aware that kids would be working at a pig farm because now they're massive. This isn't people with you know mm-hmm. twenty animals in their backyard anymore. Right. So, oh, yeah. so he's yeah. actually in the barn with the twelve thousand pigs grinding away. I mean, I, I can't believe they're still feeding them. You know, with buckets of feed or whatever. I no, thought all that had moved along. What what is he really doing? It's, it's all automatic. The, yeah. the, they have conveyors that go in and feed them all, and and I'm not sure on the nurseries how they they have to go in and and see if there's any sick pigs or stuff like that and vaccinate them and and things like that. They're it's they're they're like there four or five six hours a day and walking in and out, and making sure all the all the mechanical parts are working and everything like that. So it's. It's pretty amazing. How many kids do you have on your football team? We have anywhere from thirty to thirty-five every year. And that's enough. It's kind of yeah. We you know as long as we can have twenty-two. You know I'm I'm an old school football coach. We we scrimmage to the ground forty-five minutes at least a day. Most of the time it's an hour. I mean, I don't know how you teach a high school kid how to hit if you don't hit in practice. So, Amen. Just, you know, it's just the way it is. Thane Marshall joining us, Milford High School football coach. He coached Bryson Barnes in high school. And you're going to be, you're going to be completely biased when I ask this question, but I still want your perspective. You obviously were rallying around him to get him into a college program, and he gets there, and he throws the Rose Bowl touchdown, which is awesome. How many kids at your school and how many kids across 1A high schools could get into a college program if people saw them and took and I guess if, if college coaches had the time to see them and take them seriously and really know who they are. You know, there's 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 not a whole lot. There's not like you get up in the four A, five A, and six A classifications, and you don't have twenty. You know, you don't have eleven D one players on your team. But but every once in a while, we'll, we will get one or two that can actually go to the D1 level. And we have a lot that I think that can play at the 
at the subdivisions, you know. But but you you only get. I'll be right honest with you. Bryson has has worked harder than anybody, any player that I have ever coached in thirty one years, and and he has has self made himself into where he's at. I mean, he. I was talking to one of his elementary teachers yesterday, and and he said when they went out to PE, the only game that that Bryson ever lost in in PE was the one where the teacher played quarterback and then he cheated. (laughs) (laughs) So, and and, and he was serious. And I got to tell you a story about when Bryson was eighth grade, he was one of my managers on my football team, and and I had an old-school defensive coordinator in there, and he knows football. He's coached at the junior college level. And 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 in Southern California and stuff, and he was drawing this defense up for our offense coordinator. And he said, "What do you think about this?" And Bryson says, "Well, if you did that, I'd I'd throw the ball right here." And the guy says, "Well, then I'd run this coverage." And Bryson says, "Well, then I'd throw it there." And the the defense coordinator turned around and looked at him and he said, "Who the heck is this kid?" And I said, "Well, he's all right. He's an eighth grader. He'll be our starting quarterback next year." And he said, "Get him out of my meeting." <laughs> he actually kicked him out of the meeting because. He, he couldn't design a defense to stop the kid. Nice, and that's that's as an eighth grader. So obviously, it's such a small town. You probably have intense relationships with a lot of the kids that you coach as you're watching that game. And he throws the touchdown pass. Was your reaction that of pretty much like he's your own son? Oh yeah. You know the sad part about it is is is, is I'm surprised I've done this whole thing without crying because I'm still full of pride and and the tears just. Every time somebody posts something, an article here, or an article there, you know, my son and I reached up and we high fived each other just like, and, and and I jumped up and and we had one of my uh, my son in law's friends from Germany was here and he thought we were all crazy. <laughs> he was like, and we watched the next game and he turned to my wife and he says, you know, this game's not near as exciting as the last game. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so we 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 raised the roof off our our house here in the out in the country and you know I, I think the whole county of Beaver County was was the same way I mean he's he's a very well liked young man I mean he's he's a great football player but he's even a, a greater person off the field you know there have been plenty of fans wondering what could have been done differently to win the game you know should they have gone for two should Kyle have used timeouts should they have onsides the kick or Maybe let them score to get the ball back. And there's plenty of people wondering about, well, what about the third quarter? If they'd scored there, maybe then it would have been different down the stretch. And I'm thinking that you think they probably should have just thrown the ball on second and 17 as first snap. Because he came in on second and 17, they ran it twice and punted. And it was the next drive when he really started to look good. So they should have just taken Ohio State, just shocked him by coming in and throwing on one of those first two, <laughs> first two plays. That's what you would have done? Well, who am I to, to uh, question Coach Whittingham and Coach Ludwig? But, you know, I, I would have my, – my deal either on second down or third down, I would have let the kid pull the ball and run around the end and maybe not throw it that early, but but at least – because everybody knew that they were going to Thomas. And I would have – and the kid showed – I mean, Bryson's got great legs. He led us on a drive. When he was a uh, senior, we were we were down one point and uh, against Millard in the semifinals with a minute twelve to go with no timeouts, and we had the ball on the eight yard line, our our own eight yard line. We had to go ninety two yards, and he did most of it on his with his legs, and scored with nine seconds to go through the same through the same pass as he threw the other night in the Rose Bowl. 
Well, he did let him pull it once, and uh, and he ran for a big first down. So maybe yeah. maybe you're onto something. So you well, know that's that, that he he we ran the spread offense, and he probably had I think he was our second leading rusher every year. So I mean he he's very capable of it. Well, thank you. Congratulations on uh, all the success down there at Milford. You've won a lot of games down there, and uh, you've had some pretty good teams, and, and now you've had a Rose Bowl moment on top of it. So congratulations, <laughs> and thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you for the opportunity. It's great. You know, I, I, it's, it's always great to be able to talk about one of your favorite kids. There is Thane Marshall, Milford High School football coach, Bryson Barnes's high school coach. Ah, if only they'd run him on that down, on that possession before. If only they had... Man, you can just drive yourself nuts with that. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts every day, it'd be Christmas and New Year's. If the Utes had scored in the third quarter. Because the defense didn't play horribly in the third quarter. They got a pick, and they held Ohio State to a field goal. That was the opportunity right there to extend the lead a little bit and put Ohio State in a tough spot. And I will always believe that. The third quarter is where it got away. But interesting story with Bryson Barnes. You never know where a great athlete is going to come from. And it sounds like uh, Bryson, according to his high school coach, Thane Marshall, was a bit of a prodigy there. The elementary school teacher story about the, uh, you know, only being able to win if the teacher played and cheated. And the eighth grader arguing with the defensive coordinator who had JC experience. (laughs) Get himself kicked out of the room for having too many of the right answers. And starting as a freshman in high school. That is hard to do. It's done a handful of times, but you got the juniors and seniors who've hit puberty and the high school kids. Uh, maybe they haven't, maybe they haven't. And even if they have, they haven't put on the weight yet. Even if they have some of the height, they don't usually have the weight added on. So, heck of a story from Bryson Barnes. We'll see where it goes from here. See what the Utes quarterback room looks like next year. It'll be interesting with the transfer portal, with the extra scholarships this year. Normally there's a limit of 25, but it's plus seven with the transfers. So, could be a lot of new faces. We'll just have to see how that shakes out. But thanks to Thane Marshall for coming on. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Ben Anderson. You hear Jake and Ben 10 to noon talking NBA hoops, talking Utah Jazz. Hey, the regular season wins are great, but we can already see the playoffs shaping up. And we saw the Jazz get the number one seed last year and go out in the second round. So as much as you want to get into the seeding and the matchups, Man, when you just saw what happened last year, it's hard to get fired up about that. We'll talk about Ben, talk with Ben about that and the trade deadline. Too hard, too kind of hard to get worked up about all these matchups when you don't know who's going to be on your team. Are the Jazz going to make a deal? The Suns going to make a deal? We know that the Warriors should be getting Clay Thompson back here momentarily. It reports he's going to be back Sunday. And so, what will the rotation look like and how will all the pieces fit together? Uh, with the Warriors. So we'll get to all that with Ben. Coming up next, stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time now to hear from Ben Anderson. You hear him talking jazz on uh, the show with right after ours. With uh, He's partnered up with Jake Scott. Now, we talked a lot of jazz with him yesterday. It was in the 9 o'clock hour. A lot of takes big picture on the playoffs, where the Warriors fit in. He and I are not on exactly the same page there. Um, But it was before the news about Joe Ingles broke. Joe is in uh, COVID protocols and is out for tonight's game with the Nuggets, assuming the game happens, which right now it's scheduled, but we know things change quickly. So we're waiting to hear what happens the rest of the day and see if there's any more information there. Nonetheless, here's Ben going big picture with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Ben, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Clear those pipes, Ben. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> I'm trying. 
The Jazz beat the Pelicans, but how much are you putting stock in this road trip, having just seen the Jazz and the Warriors looking at the standings, knowing what's coming in the playoffs, and knowing later this month the Jazz play the Warriors again, they play the Suns twice, they play the Grizzlies, they play the Nuggets twice. I know every game matters, and you got to win every game, and they won last night. And Isn't it, though, about all these big games in January? Yeah, you look at, you know, they got 45 games left after last night's victory, and 15 or 13 of those, excuse me, almost uh, almost 30% of these games are against teams that have top four seeds right now in the East or the West. So the Jazz can beat the Pelicans. They can beat even Denver, who's, you know, the fifth or the sixth seed right now because they've been so unhealthy. But it's going to really matter. I think the, the confidence is going to be built by how they perform against uh, Golden State, like you mentioned, Phoenix, like you mentioned, Brooklyn, which they'll get uh, twice still before the end of the year. And you know what? I mean, you've got the trade deadline coming up in just a couple of months, so I'm sure all of those deadlines and these performances are being weighed pretty heavily right now in that front office. Yeah, that's why I think Joe is going to find a new place here before too long. I think they're going to make a move, and I think they're going to go for a defensive-minded wing. Who do you got? Uh, You know, it's going to be interesting. I almost wonder if because – the Jazz's assets, unless they're willing to move on from a Boyan Bogdanovich or a Jordan Clarkson, and I think those are—I just think those are such valuable assets and so important to what the Jazz are doing because their offense is still going to be their best weapon. They're good defensively. I don't know if they're truly going to be elite, elite defensively, even with one trade. The way you can watch Golden State and just see how well they move together, how truly elite they are as a defensive team. I don't think the Jazz get there with one move. So I don't think you cut off your nose to spite your face or whatever analogy you want to use. I don't think you move one of your best offensive players to get just a little bit better defensively. So I do think you are probably talking more of a guy like Joe Ingles and a young player or Joe Ingles and a future draft pick. And then you almost got to hope that you get involved in a three-way trade where you kind of just make salaries work and you get the best player out of it. Now, you know, I, I don't know if that means Marcus Smart's available. I'm sure Danny Ainge knows how available Marcus Smart is and what it would take to get him. And that's probably the type of advantage who's out there. There's names like Lou Dort that have been passed around, and I'm always curious about Lou Dort. Do Jazz fans love him? Because, you know, when you see him play against the Jazz, he averages 20 points a game and helps lock up Donovan Mitchell. And is he just not that player against the rest of the league? Because if he played that way every night, he'd be one of the best players, and no one would ever talk about him being available. So clearly there's going to be some warts there if you do trade for him. But if he's available, those are probably the types of names you're looking for. Uh, we talked about this with Joe. Joe went into it actually with a little bit of prompting, but not a lot. And wherever you get podcasts, you can go back and listen uh, to their show on, uh, I think it was December 30th is when we had him on. And uh, and he talked about this, and he acknowledged, hey, I've got the expiring contract. Nobody else does. So for Jazz fans who are wondering, in addition to talent, just from the cap relief or a luxury tax relief angle, he's the one that really makes sense. And you could hear it in his voice. He doesn't like it, but he knows it. So people tend to make deals with people they know. So when you bring up the Celtics, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the front office that Danny Ainge is familiar with. That's the front office that, you know, he he could probably wheel and deal with. And you know what, teams even, I I don't want to say they do each other favors, but certainly there's some kind of, you know, willing to work together if there's familiarity in the front office. You know, the Jazz made a couple of small, not major, but kind of little tiny draft night trades that ended up benefiting the Knicks after Walt Perrin moved there. And there's just some familiarity there. You know, there's just some guys that are there in that front office that, 
you probably know and you say, well, we want to get, you know, this second round pick and the Knicks want this pick. And, you know, you think you can probably work together and there's some goodwill. So you would hope there's still goodwill with Danny Ainge and the Celtics. It doesn't seem like any uh, bridges have been burned. And look, Danny's going to look under all the, all, all the different rugs that are out there in the NBA. He's going to find out a deal if there's one available for the Jazz. And look, you know, I mean, it sounds like teams are already going after Joe Ingles. There was that rumor that popped up last week that Quinn Snyder, you know, refuted a trade uh, to Golden State, I think it was, with Joe Ingles and then kind of made sure it didn't get pushed through. So the, the name has been thrown out there. I'm sure there's still value for Joe Ingles around the league, maybe not as much today as there was in the offseason. But he's still a guy who I think some teams would like to get some of that expiring money. And he can still shoot. He can still play. And I think if you get him in a, a safe spot where his confidence comes back, he'll continue to play better. I think that uh, as far as January, yeah, there's big games and all. But I sort of view it as uh, what are they going to do in the postseason because it looks like they'll get either Phoenix or Golden State in the second round. And it's sort of like uh, we went through four months of college football and we got Georgia, Alabama, like no kidding. And so to me, you know, they can have these big games and this and that, but it's when we get to the second round of the playoffs, you're going to either be playing Phoenix or Golden State. And if you want to get the NBA Finals, you're going to probably have to beat Phoenix and Golden State. I don't see uh, anything but that happening. Oh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's some inevitability there, which is probably a good thing. I mean, I think that probably makes it a little bit easier to decide how you want to operate before the trade deadline and what things you want to accomplish. And therefore, you don't hopefully, I think, buy into too much regular season success because I wouldn't be surprised if the Jazz come back from this road trip with a perfect 5-0 and record. They're better than Denver. They're better than Toronto. They're better than Indiana. They're better than Detroit. So they already beat New Orleans, and they play really hard on the road when they you know, feel like they need to prepare a little bit more or they face a little extra adversity that they don't face when they're at home because the fans are at their back. They sharpen up a little bit, and just by tightening up a little bit, they're so naturally talented and have so much chemistry that they just blow past these teams, which is why I think they've won nine straight road games. But... You know, you, you do need to make sure you recognize that your season's going to end with seven games or five games or, you know, hopefully not four games against the, the Suns or the Warriors in the second round. And you need to make sure you're most prepared for that. And I'm sure that's not lost on this Jazz front office. So they put up a graphic during the broadcast about the Jazz, how they rank, you know, number one or two in the league in offense or defense at home or away, with the exception of defense at home, <laughs> which instead of being elite was mediocre. Do you think they just think, oh, these guys are at altitude, we got our fans, and so they bring the B-minus effort defensively? Is there any other way to explain why they're 17th in that category when they're elite and everything else? I, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think there is just this kind of feeling that you roll out of bed and you're so good and you're at home that things should naturally take care of themselves. And remember, I mean, they were incredibly good last year at home. They have a 22-game home winning streak. They set a team record for consecutive home wins. They lost two early to, I don't know if it was the Suns and the Timberwolves, I think it was, but they lost a couple of weird games early and then just went on the streak where they were unbeatable. And it felt like, okay, you know, this is going to be the case again for this team. And it hasn't been. But look, they lost in the playoffs last year. I mean, they lost game five to the Clippers, which is the reason they got eliminated by the playoffs or by the Clippers in game six in Los Angeles. So I, I do think there needs to be some respect that, hey, you're not just going to flip a switch at any point. And it does kind of feel like they roll out of bed feeling like, hey, we're at home. We're one of the top three teams in the West, if not in the NBA. If we flip this switch, everything's going to be fine because they haven't passed that test against teams like Golden State. How do you think the small ball thing is going? It's not going super well right now because Rudy Gay is not playing very good. You know, Rudy Gay is just not 
all that engaged defensively. He's getting blown by, and I think it's still probably trying to figure out exactly what some of his role is, which is unfortunate because I actually thought he had a couple of good games where Quinn Snyder said, hey, let's stop trying to make you George Niang. Let's stop having you hang out on the three-point line. And if you want to take 18-foot post-up jump shots, and that's where you're going to get more comfortable, and that's going to get you more engaged on the defensive end, let's do that. Because you got to do something. you got to offer something. And if you're just missing threes and then not playing defense or not really helping that much on that end of the floor, that doesn't do anything for you. And then Hassan gets hurt, so he has to go and play as the backup center. And I don't think that's quite a natural fit for him the way I think you know the Jazz would like him to, and he certainly hasn't had as many reps in his career playing backup center. So where he can be a big power forward and shoot over guys and feel comfortable, he loses a little bit of that when he has to go out and guard Jackson Hayes or Jonas Valanciunas or whoever he had to D up last night. I think that ends up being difficult. So it's a work in progress. I wouldn't say it's something you want to abandon totally because it's probably something you want to be able to go to a little bit more often. But look, one of the reasons the Jazz second unit last year wasn't very good was because Derek Favors wasn't very good last year. I mean, he just was not as good as Hassan Whiteside is right now. So if Hassan's going to be better than Favors, I don't know if you necessarily feel like you have to rely on small ball. And one of the things I've really liked that the Jazz has done is they're giving Rudy Gobert the ball in the post. And, and Quinn Snyder talked about it last week. He said it's fighting for the rim. It, it, it has equal parts to do with the Jazz' willingness to pass in the ball, but also Rudy Gobert's willingness to get to within one or two feet and not stop at five or six feet because he can't do anything at five or six feet. He's too close to other defenders. He's not all that good turning around and shooting the ball. He doesn't have great touch. But it is, you know, a foot out from the rim, two feet out from the rim, he's so long he can dunk it or he can get fouled, and that's certainly more valuable uh, than just you know throwing the ball down to him at six feet and having it result in a turnover. I feel like the small ball discussion has gotten off a point here. It's not that the problem with, with Rudy is that he can't be everywhere at once. The problem with the Jazz defensively is it's too easy to get past guys and break the paint, as they like to say. It's just too easy to get in to get around guys and get into the lane. And I thought the most interesting part of the post game after the Pelicans game was the discussion about, well, why are guys better or why aren't they better when... Well, Rudy clearly intimidates people. And guys look like better defenders when Rudy's standing behind him, whether a guy goes around him or not. And if Rudy's dragged out to the corner by a, a, a guy who can shoot, or if he's subbed out, or if he's in foul trouble and he's out because of that, well, now guys aren't intimidated. And your perimeter defense doesn't look as good. And I don't think putting Rudy Gay in there is going to make the perimeter defense a lot of, a lot better. Some guys are still going to get beat. So when you put Rudy Gay in there, what you need is an offense that scores at a really high rate so you're not giving up ground because you're probably giving up more points. I don't think they can yeah. change that. I, I almost actually wonder, we saw it a little bit against the Mavericks on Christmas night, is maybe you just make Rudy your primary defensive player. Rudy Gobert, that is. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if they want to switch or if they're going to bring the ball up the floor, if it's Reggie Jackson this year like it was with the Clippers, just put Rudy on him. Fine. If you could beat Rudy Gobert off the dribble and then beat him to the rim where he's recovered and had those you know game-winning block shots against Dame or DeLon Wright, we remember against the Mavericks a couple of years ago, if you think you can score on him one-on-one, fine. And then you got to trust your other Jazz defenders to stay in front of their guy, but if your best player is going to have the ball in his hands, why not just put your best defender on him? And, and I don't think it's even close. The Rudy Gobert is not just the Jazz's best rim protector. He's their best perimeter defender. He's longer than anyone. He moves his feet better. He doesn't fall for pump fakes. He doesn't foul you on the three-point line. Like He does everything so well on the defensive end. 
maybe he is your Ben Simmons. Maybe he is your Draymond Green who can D up the best guy late in the game and, and fluster him into taking a bad shot or throwing the ball away. And Quinn, I think, has even toyed with that idea a little bit. So if you want to play small ball, you don't actually have to be small. You just have to be willing to pull your big guy out. And if they're willing to pull their big guy out and especially put him on the ball, yeah, it puts the onus on the Jazz other players to, to do well, but at least you're not asking Rudy Gobert to defend the paint and defend the ball. I want you to guarantee me that Mike Conley will be healthy for the playoffs. <laughs> I think Quinn Snyder's doing his best, and I think it's frustrating Mike Conley. I mean, I think there are a lot of games, especially back-to-backs, where Mike wishes he was playing and then finds himself a little bit out of a rhythm. He's bad the last three games until last night. He was shooting you know, 34% from the floor and 22% from the three-point line and you know, like 4 of 13, 4 of 15 every night, so he wasn't playing very well. Uh, but when he's on, he's incredible. He's really one of the probably 25 best players in the NBA, and you saw that again last night. So Quinn Snyder's trying his hardest to keep this, this, this team as healthy as possible, and specifically Mike Conley as healthy as possible, because knock on wood, Rudy and Donovan seem pretty durable. Uh, so if you can keep Mike Conley healthy, when you get to the playoffs, that's going to help a ton, especially if you can find you know one more little piece to, to kind of complement the defense. Warriors are 3-1 and one against the Suns and Jazz combined, and I thought they really passed the eye test, and obviously they didn't have Draymond, and they're about to get Clay back. Uh, should we be penciling them in as heavy favorites? People talk about the NBA being wide open. Is it wide open in your mind, or are the Warriors the team to beat? I actually still think the Suns are probably the team to beat in the West, more so than the Warriors, and I, I like the Warriors. I, I'm still a little bit curious if I'm buying into – Jordan Poole and Gary Payton, the second being able to go out and win you games in the playoffs. And look, when they once they start doing it, they do it. You know, I didn't believe in the Suns last year either, and they made the finals. And you know, we're up whatever it was four game or three games to one or three games to two, and ended up blowing that lead. So it's not like it's impossible for them to get there. I'm still a little curious if when push comes to shove, and yes, I lost. I watched them lose to the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in tournament last year to not make the playoffs. And obviously they're not going to find themselves in that situation this year, but I'm still a little bit curious if all those pieces are going to fit that well and perform that well when it gets into the playoffs versus that whirlwind of playing against a team like that. That's pretty unique because they are so small because they don't have a real big guy that plays because they switch everything defensively. You run into those teams in the regular season and it's hard to prepare for them with one shoot around or a practice. And then once you get to see them four times, five times, six times, you start to pick apart some of their weaknesses or find ways to trap them in different ways. So Jordan Poole can't go off and you let Steph beat you or Steph can't go off and you try and make Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins beat you. And they've got to prove that they can do it. And maybe they can. Uh, but, but I wouldn't at this point, from my perspective, pencil them in as some overwhelming favorite to make it you know, even past the second round of the playoffs. They, they can get there, but I, I think if you're trying to drop the conference finals now, you might just be picking names out of a half between the Jazz, the Warriors, and the Suns. Where does Jay Scott rank on your list of favorite co-hosts that you've worked with? Okay, I mean, most of the shows I've done, like PK, you and I have done one show together. DJ, actually, I don't think you and I have ever done a show together. We've hung out during Jazz games. I'm doing an hour with Scotty today. I did Hands last week. Obviously, Kyle Gunther for a long time. I did it with Tony Jones for a Saturday show for a while. <laughs> well, like he's top seven. Top seven? Okay. <laughs> nice. Conservatively, he's okay. top seven. Okay. Well, they can get top but, four. He can get into the college football playoffs. So he really doesn't need to improve that much. Well, look, and if we expand, he'll be in regardless. So Good point. He's, he's in good standing. He's doing fine. Okay. He'll be really happy to hear that. Just work with him some more. 
You can get there. Yeah, right, right. It's it's a work in progress, and that's fine. I don't. He'll get there. I have faith. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I can bring him along. All right, Ben. Good warm up uh, segment. You should be ready to go at ten o'clock today. Yeah, I get her. Better get dressed. See you guys. There is Ben Anderson. He'll be back today, ten to noon, with Jake. Jacob Ben from 10 to noon here on The Zone. What is trending is next. One more college bowl game. And, of course, the Jazz getting ready to play tonight. We'll get you all up to speed. Everything that's trending next. Stay with us.